Take your Bible, come to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read just two verses this morning, verse 38 and 39. Luke 4, verse 38 and 39. Now that, that kind of singing, the reason we've invited them over is so that we can learn to have that. Wouldn't that be nice every week? To have someone doing something like that. that. That would just be such a blessing. That is a great ministry in a church. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what, if I can let you in on a little secret. If you practice this in your home, no, I'm serious, it changes the atmosphere of your home. To have that kind of singing, learning an instrument, there's just something peaceful and calm. You can feel God move in the church when they're doing it. How do you think it feels at home? It's nice, eh? It's nice. It's worth our time. Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 39. The Bible says, And he, speaking of Jesus, he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now some, if, if I can just interject a comment here, this is about as close as you'll get to proof that when Jesus moved to Capernaum, remember he grew up in Nazareth, When he started his ministry, he moved to Capernaum. And some people say that he lived in Simon Peter's house. And this is as close as you'll get to proof of that. All this says is that after Jesus finished teaching in the synagogue, he went to Peter's house. So this might have just been for a bry, you know. But but some say that it indicates where he lived, maybe. We continue, it says, And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. I want to just point out something real simple here. Jesus was in the synagogue that day because he wanted to help people. And then after he got to Simon's house, the other people in Simon's house, Simon... Simon's wife and whoever else might have been there, they wanted to help the mother-in-law. So Jesus was ready to help. Simon and the other people in the house, ready to help. Jesus heals the mother-in-law, and then you can see at the end of verse 39, she immediately arose and she was ready to help. So the name of my sermon is Ready to Help. (laughs) If you would bow your heads, let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning. We've already been ministered to the singing, Lord, I look forward to hearing this in our church. Thank you, God. Uh, we, we look forward, forward to learning more and worshiping you more in song. Now we turn our attention to the Word. We pray that you might touch our hearts. And Lord, just like you and these others, we're ready to help. Such an easy thing today, but Lord, prepare our hearts, work in us, so that we also are ready to help. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've already mentioned, as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, it was Jesus' custom. Every Sabbath day, he was in the synagogue. Every Sabbath day. He regularly attended the assembly on a weekly basis. But after he got done with what we would know as a church service, let's call it a synagogue service, he entered into Simon's house. And can I point this out? That yes, this is a time of ministry. We're trying to minister the Word to you. By you being here this morning, we touched on this in Sunday school, you are ministering to each other simply by being here. 
by coming with, the, with ears to hear, with an eager attitude, with a, with a heart that yearns for God, you are ministering to each other. But this is only part of the ministry. The real ministering, if I can say it like that, happens once you leave these doors. Because what we're learning here, what we're hearing, we are getting exhorted and stirred up and taught so that throughout the week we can do something with what we've learned. And what I see in this passage, Jesus arises, He goes out of the synagogue, and that is not the time for Him to stop ministering. That's the time for Him to start ministering to all sorts of needs. A lot of the needs that you have in your life are going to be taken care of at your house. You're going to get some help in church, I hope. I hope you come here and get a good shot in the arm and learn and, and, and draw close to God. But folks, don't let it stay in church. When you get home, moms, dads, that's the time to really start ministering. That's the time to put it into practice. It's no secret, I've told you guys many times, John Patton is my favorite missionary ever. Mid-1800s, he headed over to the South Sea Islands. But John Patton, his autobiography, he speaks much about his dad, James Patton. And in the whole first chapter of that autobiography, he talks about how he was growing up and how his dad influenced him in a great way towards God. His dad's name was James Patton. In 40 years, right, he missed church three times, twice because of snow, and one time he actually tried to go and got stuck and had to crawl hands and knees on the ice to get back home because he just couldn't make it all the way to the church. And the only other time he missed, there was a massive cholera outbreak not COVID, but cholera. And the church elders had to actually send men to Patton's house to tell James, don't come to church, because they knew he'd come anyway. <laughs> and, and James, now James had some sense about him, right? He used discretion. He knew if it's contagious, don't put other people at risk. So he used a lot of, a lot of good sense there. But that man was always in church. Now, when, when John Patton was writing this autobiography about his dad, it's interesting, John did not say one word about any sermon that he heard. He never talked about what the pastor said. Now, I'm sure John learned from the pastor. You know what he talks about in the book? He talks about how on the way to church, his dad, they, they had to walk to church, right? The dad and 11 kids walked to church, and they would meet up with other families walking to church. They were in Scotland, and Little John would listen to his dad talking to the other Uums and Tanis about what they might hear at church that morning. And then on the way home, little John would listen in as his dad and the other Uums and Tanis would talk about, did you hear the pastor say this and this is tremendous and how's this happening in your life? And he said, that fellowship, hearing those believers talk with each other, that is what stirred his heart towards God as a young man. It wasn't limited to what happens in the church, but what happens after you leave the synagogue. When you enter into the house, then you have a lot of ministry going on. John would talk about how his dad every day, three times a day, would pray with the kids. He would ask them Bible questions and make the kids give answers and then say, okay, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> That's how they grew up. What excited him was not just the ministry in the church, but the ministry at home. My question for you, when you leave this synagogue today, will the ministry continue? 
Jesus was ready to help, not just in, but outside of the assembly point. Look at another thing. Simon's wife, mother, wife's mother was taken with a great fever. She was taken with it. This means it had overtaken her. She was no longer conscious, maybe delirious. There, are, there were needs waiting for Jesus and for Simon, Simon's wife. There were needs waiting at home. And some of you, you have problems waiting for you at home. As soon as you step out of the church, you know that there are things you're going to have to deal with. Whether it's a sickness, she was taken with a great fever. And we've already mentioned in church today, we know of some people that are struggling in hospital. There's opportunities to minister as soon as we're done today. Some people are not overtaken with a fever, but overtaken with a fault. Remember this in Galatians 6? It talks about how a brother can be overtaken with a fault. Some people are struggling with a habitual sin. They just cannot. They want to stop it, but they, they're struggling. You might have a chance to minister to that person, to help them, to encourage them. Some people, the Bible says, are, are taken with fear. Some of you are worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what would be real good? I may not know it as the pastor standing here. I'm not going to ask you publicly, tell us what all your fears are. But you might be able to throw your arm around that brother or sister after the service and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Anything special I can pray about? And you have a chance to minister to those needs. It says here she was taken with a great fever. Not just a fever, a great fever. And there are people in this room that are struggling with great problems. And you have a chance to do something about it. Notice in verse 38, it says that she was taken with a great fever. And they, at the end of verse 38, they besought him for her. She could not help herself. Now, I'm, I'm, forgive me, I'm reading between the lines. I admit this. But I am assuming that Simon and Simon's wife, they had already done all they could to help mother-in-law with the fever. I'm assuming that they've already tried medicines. They, they've comforted her. They've tried to nurse her back to King. And now Jesus has come over for a visit. Maybe he stays there. And they know this is beyond our capabilities. There's nothing I can do to fix this great problem. I've reached the end of myself. Generally, when you find your weakness is when you'll find Christ's strength. Because when we're weak, He's strong. It's usually when we come to the end of ourselves that we begin to see God do something. But these folks, they probably had done what they could. And when you get to that point in life where you throw your hands up and say, I don't know what else to do. This person that I love, that I care about, I don't know how to help them. I've said everything. I've given them everything. I'm out of ways to help. Here's what you can do. I must tell Jesus. They besought him for her. Sometimes the only way to get that person through that problem is to pray for them. Take that problem to the Lord and do not think that that's a small thing. When you tell a brother or sister, I'm praying for you, follow up on that. Make sure that you do. We sing in that song, I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. Right? I must tell Jesus. That, that song was written because one man met somebody on the street that was going through a tough time and asked them, what's going on? They said, I've got all these problems. And they said, well, you need to just pray about that. You need to take that to Jesus. And that person walked away 
repeating the words, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. And that man overheard that and said, that is a great song. And wrote the whole song based on that one person saying, I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. You ever been there? God, I don't know what else to do. I have no idea what my next step is. I don't know how to help this person. They're stuck in sin. They're stuck in sickness. They're they're stuck in whatever serious problem. But God, you've got to step in and move. That, friend, is real ministering. Not just come to church, but go home. How can I help? Pray them through it. The Bible says, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I love it. Jesus is in the house, and when Simon steps in, Jesus is probably tired because he's been preaching, what, all morning? This is probably the time to give Jesus a break. (laughs) Thank God our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't get tired. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to worry about waking him up from a nap on Sunday afternoon. At any time, you can go to Jesus, beseech Him, and say, please, would you mind helping? And He never minds. Casting all your cares, big or small, upon Him, for He cares for you. Church, my question this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus cares? We sing another song, don't we? Does Jesus care? When my, right, we sing. And I love the answer to that. That's oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Right? This bears it out. He's tired. He's been helping and ministering all day. He gets home and there's more problems. Most people would throw their hands up and go, oh, there's so many problems. Jesus says, I'm ready to help. Bring your problems my way. I can make time for you. You know, he's waiting for you to come and ask. He's waiting for you to come and ask. He's ready to help. Verse 39. I love this part. I've never noticed this until this week. Verse 39 says, he stood over her. I've always read that part just real quick. I get to the next part, you know, the action. Rebuke the fever. You know, it's exciting. That first part is good. He stood over her. He gets to the bedside. She is, what, either delirious or unconscious. I mean, the great fever has taken her. And he gets to the bedside and he stands over her. He looks down and he sees her in her affliction. Does she know how close Jesus is to her? Does she know how close God is at that moment? She's taken with her problem. She doesn't even realize how close God has come. But He's right there at her side. Do you realize how special that is? You may not even know it this morning because whatever problem is standing next to you, right? It's it's taking you. It has taken your attention and you don't realize that there on the other side, there's Jesus standing over you, watching, ready to help. He's right there. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why? He's right there. He's standing right there, watching, willing, happy to help. And she didn't even know how close he was. 
You know, years and years and years ago, God formed man of the dust of the ground. What did He do next? He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Amen? Adam had no idea that God was standing over him, ready to inspire him, ready to breathe into him, bring life into that soul. Adam, that, that's the position that God has taken since the very first man there was. Standing over him, looking at him, knowing the potential that once I get a hold of this man, once I do a work in him, once I put a little bit of myself into him, this man, this man can then walk with me. This man can then fellowship with me. This man can be pleasing to me. It starts off with God standing over a man. And for the last 6,000 years, I dare say the same thing has been going on. And I hope this morning it's true for you. That even as you sit there today, you might feel the Holy Spirit come close and just tap you on the shoulder and say, I'm closer than you think. What did Jacob say? He took a nap. He fell asleep rather. He had that dream. He woke up. And what did he say? The Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Sometimes our problems are so big, we lose sight of how close God is. Elisha is in Samaria. The army of the Syrians encamps round about, and Elisha's servant wakes up and says, Elisha, what are we going to do? The enemy has surrounded us. How are we going to get out of this? And Elisha prays and says, God, open the servant's eyes and let him see. And God peeled back the natural curtain first, just for a moment, and the servant saw the horses and chariots of fire all about the mountain. And he realized right then and there, God is here with us. God has already taken care of this problem we didn't even know it he stood over her when Paul preached to the Athenians a bunch of well-educated lost heathen in explaining the unknown God to them he said though he be not far from every one of us God reminded even those lost people God's not that far he is as close as you want him to be Draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. You know what that means? He's ready. He's waiting. If you want Him nigh, He'll come nigh. He's standing right there. Say, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so tired. I'm so confused. My head is spinning. I don't know what to do. He doesn't run off. He's standing right there. Now the next part we see in verse 39, He stood over her and He rebuked the fever. I think too often when we go through a great trial and we're taken with it, right? It, it takes hold of our life. We rebuke God. God, why would you let this happen to me? Why, God? I've had other fevers and now you're letting me go through it again. Why, God, we get angry at Him and rather, doesn't the Bible say that we should be thankful? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Yes, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What does that bring? And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Approach the fever with this attitude. Thank you, God, for the fever because it has brought you right next to where I'm at. It has brought you closer to me, me closer to you, 
That's the end goal. So God, thank you for the fever. Now Jesus does something here that at this time only Jesus could do. He rebuked the problem and made it go away immediately. Jesus would later give this power to his apostles. Friend, let's be very careful if I can just give you a doctrinal side note here. This is an apostolic gift. Not every believer can do this. Please do not think that you can just say to whatever sickness you have or, you know, you cannot go to your bank account. If it's on zero, you cannot rebuke the zero. <laughs> Don't rebuke the zero. I get the zero out. No, it won't. The zero will remain, right? Even in the book of Acts, when other people saw the apostles doing these great miracles, and they were great miracles, other people said, we dare not join ourselves to this group. They knew that that was a special group. When Simon the sorcerer tried to buy his way into this group, Peter rebuked him and said, you have no part nor lot in this matter. Why? Because in Acts 1, they had to cast lots to choose another apostle. He said, you have no lot. This is a closed group. Not everybody gets these special gifts. These were special gifts for a special time, special ministry. But that doctrinal side note being said, let me make this clear, that as soon as Jesus is ready for your problem to go away, he will make it go away. And not a moment sooner. When Jesus decides to stand up in the midst of your stormy life and rebuke the sea and say, calm down, the problem will end. Until then, just be thankful that He is standing over you. Fever or not, all is well if Jesus is nigh. All is well if Jesus is nigh. It says at the end of verse 39, and it left her. And this is where the story, I believe, becomes critical because what she does next, I believe, is what gets her into the Bible. Uh, let's just pretend the story ended differently. Please help my mother-in-law. I don't know how many times that's actually been prayed in human history, but this time <laughs> it, it, it worked. Please, God, heal my mother-in-law. God loves everybody, so he says, okay, I'll, I'll help. Now, what if he, he rebukes the fever, immediately she feels better, she gets up and says, huh, so what's on TV? Right? What if she just gets up, bypasses Jesus, heads right down to her friend's house and just lecker care and go, goes on without thanking the Lord, just goes on about her business. What if she took this great miracle, this great grace, and used it for her own purposes? Thank you, Jesus, for making me feel better. Now I can go back to work and get my paycheck and go on with my life the way I want it to be. She probably wouldn't have made it into the Scripture. Here's what she did. Quick question, Bible quiz. Did she go to Bible school after she was healed? It doesn't say that, does it? What did she do? She, she was healed, she was touched by the master, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. So Jesus gets into the house, he's ready to help. Peter and his wife, they've done all they can, they pray, besought him, 
They, they were ready to help. Now she's healed. She gets up. What is she? She's ready to help. Has she gone to Bible school? No. Did she get special training in theology? No. She just says, well, now that I'm better, let me be a blessing to those around me. Let me take this grace that God has shown me, this wonderful mercy, and let me use it to help the people around me. She did not have, to our knowledge, a lot of special skills. She was just given to hospitality. We are saved so that we can serve. That's exactly what she did. She is a shining example of why Jesus touches our lives is so that we can arise and immediately get to work. You say, I need to identify my gifts. No, you don't. You need to have love in your heart. The Corinthian church was real big on, you know, this gift and that gift, and let's em emphasize the gifts. And Paul said, I show you a much better way, a more excellent way. Let's not worry about the gifts. Let's have charity. Because if you truly are ready to help, I just want to be a blessing, you will use whatever gift you have, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever resource, because you want to be a help and a blessing. That's exactly what Peter's mother-in-law did. She was saved from this sickness so that she could serve. Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is an example of what a Christian life ought to look like. Say, Pastor, I'd love to get involved. I, I know that Jesus has touched my life, but I don't think I have a lot to offer. What did Peter's mother-in-law have to offer? She made tea and gave rusks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every South African in Hilaland can do that. <laughs> Amen. She just got up out of bed and said, anybody need tea? <laughs> she just was ready to help. Can you do that? Let me give you a few ideas. We need some more help on the AV table back there. We need to train at least three or four more people on that table. Would you, would you like to learn? We got a spot for you. We need some people to fold tracks. We print these by the thousands. If you have two workable thumbs, let us know. You need no special training for that. We'll tell you how to do it because there is a right way to do it, but it'll take all the five seconds and you're up and running. We need some people that will give other folks a lift to church because we have more than the bus can handle. Speaking of the bus, we need somebody to sell the one we have so we can buy a different one. If any of you know how to do that, you let me know. We're going to have a building project soon. We'll put everybody to work. <laughs> we would like to open a trade school. You guys know how to do something? You know how to work with electricity, plumbing, welding, any of that stuff? You ladies, you know how to sew? Can you, do, can you teach some other people that? We'll put that to use. You know how to play sports? Cricket, rugby? Yeah, probably. Probably. Hey, we can make use of that. You come and say, Pastor, I'd, I don't have a whole lot to offer, but... Whatever I have, I want to use it for the glory of Christ because of what He's done in my life. I just want to get involved. I'm ready to help. Put me to, put me to work. We'll take that special sport that you're good at and create an event around it so that we can fellowship. Men's cricket. Right? Great time for the men to get together. I remember clearly the first thing that Christina and I ever got to do for the Lord. It wasn't preaching. 
It wasn't leading songs. That came later. The first thing we ever got to do for the Lord. The pastor needed somebody to clean the church. And we volunteered. And I'll never forget holding that toilet brush. Cleaning that first toilet. The first time I ever did it. I said, Lord, I actually get to do this for you. And it was one of those moments, one of those defining moments in my life where I thought, this is so special. Toilet brush in hand and just rejoicing and praising God. I thought it was so incredibly special when the pastor handed us the keys to the church. Because, you know, we had to get there late Saturday night to get in and we'd straighten up the church, vacuum, clean the toilets, straighten up the, the song books, you know, get everything ready. Oh, man, we get out of there about 10 p.m. It was so awesome. I felt like the king of the castle. Look, I have the keys to the church, you know. 20 members, you know, in the church. Oh, I got the keys to the church. I felt like such a big shot, toilet brush in hand. <laughs> That's where it starts. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. God says, listen, I'm not going to send you to Africa right off the bat. Are you willing to clean a toilet? That's what I could do. When he, when he t touched me, when, when he saved me, that's what I could immediately do. I just rose up and got busy doing what I could. How about you? You ready to help? Say, give me some reason to help. Jesus is standing right there. Isn't that reason enough? Has He touched your life? Has He changed your life? Has He delivered you out of that sin problem that took you? Doesn't that make you want to get up and say, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm ready to do it. When the mother-in-law was healed, immediately she rose and ministered. But don't you know that some weeks later, she started telling other people the story about that day? She didn't have to tell the people in the house. They knew what happened. But what do you think she did the next day? She probably went and found the other older Tanis down there by the, you know, by the Toro or by the Mug and Bean. And, oh, yellow mutwer. <laughs> you, you guys got to hear this. Cake here. Oh, this, this. It's a fantastic story. And she's, sorry, I'm, if my Afrikaans is bad, I'm trying, but. She probably starts telling everybody else, yo, I was taken in such a fever. I, I did not think I was coming back from that. I passed out, and the next thing I know, there's Jesus standing by my side, and my family's all around, and man, I just got up and started helping them. And I tell you, this Jesus guy, he's a different kind of guy. And she starts telling people this story over and over. And you know what eventually happens? Matthew, Mark, Luke, they sit down, and when they write the gospel, the Holy Spirit says, put that story in there. People from all over the then-known world start reading it. They don't even know her name, but they are able to come back. People in Israel are able to track her down, and we go, and they say, hey, aren't you Peter's mother-in-law? Yes, I am. Wow, so you're the one that, that we read about here in this gospel? I met him. Sure enough, he was in my house. He, he changed my life. You see how this grows? Because she was ready to help, the story goes in the Scripture, and now she's not only telling others, now others are coming to her. Saying, are you this one? Yep. And I can verify he's everything that you read about in that book. He's all that and more. 
Friend, are you ready to help? We don't have to send you to a foreign mission field today. We'll get to that. (laughs) But are you ready to help? Jesus was. Peter was. His mother-in-law was. Now how about you? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Mrs. Bierman is going to come and play something softly for us on the piano and give you a moment to think about this today. Peter's mother-in-law has no name in the Scripture. We do not know who she was. You don't have to be famous. No one has to know your name. You just need to be ready to help. Does that describe you this morning? I believe God put this story in the Bible because this is the kind of disciple He wants. Jesus draws nigh, changes your life, and you rise up and do what you can for Him. Folks, that's what we need. The details we'll figure out later. First, we need a willing heart. Ready to help. Maybe this morning you just needed to be reminded you're so taken with your problem you just needed to be reminded He's standing right there watching over you. You can find refuge under His wings. He's right there. This morning, if you need, why don't you just turn your eyes upon Jesus? Look over your shoulder and just say, there you are. I've forgotten how close you are. Perhaps this morning you need to pray about this ready to help thing. If there is something you would like to do, you want to get involved, you let, you let me know. We'd be happy to do what we can to put that to use. We just want you to do it for Jesus' sake. Because of what He did in you. Before we close, let me just ask you. If you're here today and you've never been saved, that is, you've never put your faith completely in Jesus to save you from your sins. You are taken, not with a great fever, but you're taken with your sin. It's, it's controlling you. Jesus can save you from it. If you've never been saved, right after the service, you come and find me. And I'd be happy to walk you through it. I'll, I'll show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of knowing that you're nigh. What a blessing. And when we're going through our most difficult times, we're distracted by whatever it is life is throwing at us to know that you're near. Thank you for always being ready to help. Lord, show us now 
Show us where we can rise up and serve you and serve others. Lord, I believe it's a simple message today, but one that everybody can do something with. And if there's somebody here that's lost, God, please touch that heart and let them act on what they've heard today. Let them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. We pray, Father, you dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, if you would, now don't forget, the Beermans are going to be waiting right up here on the stage, so you make your way this direction. And Lord willing, we'll see most of you tonight for Bible school, 6 p.m. at the new plot.